Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Hamm. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast. Soon to be the NBC King's Insider Podcast. We're, we're doing a little switcheroo with CSN. NBC, still the same people, still the same company, still the same broadcast. We're just doing something different going forward. Um, you'll see more on that as as the next couple of weeks unfold. But uh, the first thing I want to do here on the podcast is at practice, following practice on Tuesday, I was able to get Scal Labissier for a Facebook live chat, and uh, he said some some really cool things in that and. We're going to use that as the first segment of the podcast because it was a nice 10-minute interview uh, that I think more people should should listen to and hear because he is sort of the soup du jour in Sacramento right now. So we're going to roll tape right now on Scal Labissier. Now, I'm going to ask you, uh, Grant Napier, have you heard his call of, of your name on, on the telecast? Uh, I've heard it a couple of times. Is that how you like to have your name pronounced? La BC Air. <laughs> I think he's doing a better job than most people. Uh, it's Cal La He's doing a pretty good job, I think. Okay, so it's La BC Air. So you just roll it in. Okay, okay. So there it is. It's French. Now, do you speak French? I speak French and Creole. Haitian Creole. Really? Yeah. Okay, let's hear a little French. A little French. What do you want me to say? Uh... No, you, you can uh, say whatever you'd like to say. Uh, salut tout le monde, comment ça va? All right. It sounds good. It sounds good. Now, now Creole, you could have uh, spoken to some former kings in Creole. I know there were some kings here before. That, is there anyone else that you know here in Sacramento, like on your team, that speaks any Creole? Nobody. Uh, but I've met Samuel Dallenberg before and Olden Polinis. So, Polinis. Yeah, 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 we've talked, we've talked uh, before. So. Now, you guys are the three Haitian-born players, right? We are. Have you had lots of conversation with those guys or just a little oh, bit here and there? A lot of conversations, but just here and there I've uh, spoken to them before. Is it weird that all three Haitian-born players have played for the Sacramento Kings? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> it's it's kind of weird, but it's pretty neat, too, at the same time. Okay, we're going to ask fans to throw in questions, too. Do you have any fans? Uh, any fan questions? Not yet? Okay, well, hopefully we'll get some fan questions because I know you're quickly becoming a fan favorite. How how nice has it been to play in front of this crowd? Oh, it's been really good. Uh, you know, I think we have the best fans in the NBA. Even when we're not doing well, they're still here cheering for us. So uh, I can't wait for, you know, when everything turns around, when we start winning, how crazy it's going to be. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm excited about it. You've had enough time to sort of figure out this NBA game a little bit. What is it that you're going to work on this summer? What's the prompt? This summer, uh, really getting in the weight room. Uh, you know, I expect to come back here looking different uh, and being a totally different player. So my skill set, I'm just going to keep working on that, uh, handling the ball, you know, expanding my range and all that, uh, getting comfortable with that and just finishing through contact. So I'm really excited about that. 
So range, range is something that uh, we saw you hit a three the other in one of the games over this, well, your 32-point breakout game. Uh, but you have three-point range, right? Yeah, I do. I work on it every single day. Me and Anthony Tolliver, after practice, every single day, uh, after shoot-around, we work on it. Uh, I work on it for my uh, when the coaches, the trainer, so I definitely have that. <laughs> ben McLemore is messing with you. Uh, ben just had a baby. How How excited are you for him to sort of – have this process for him oh i'm very excited for him you know i can tell he's very excited about his daughter i don't know how that feels yet <laughs> so uh, yeah yeah it's a good thing good 21. thing yeah exactly so uh, i'm excited for him okay uh how how difficult has the transition been for you to the nba i know uh, sort of the knock on you coming out of college was that you, the contact issue but we've seen none of that it seems yeah. like you really do have your game going the right way oh yeah i mean i've been working on that uh you know coming out of college i wasn't worried about what every, everybody else was saying i knew what kind of player i wanted to be i know what i know what kind of player i can be so i'm just gonna you know keep working that's what i've been doing since i've been in sacramento working uh on my game so uh, i'm just you know uh, taking it day by day and working you know getting better every single day so I know one of the first years I covered this team, it, they had uh, Hassan Whiteside, DeMarcus Cousins, which were taken in the same draft, and Samuel Dallenberg all on the same team. Uh, that second season, Whiteside came back. He was like 50 pounds heavier because he had been working out. You're not going to do anything crazy like oh, that, right? Anything crazy. I'm going to take it slowly. Uh, you know, I, I still want to be able to move. I want to move like I'm Ty Lawson, you know, when I come back. <laughs> you know, not put put too much weight on too fast, you know, uh, you know, I'm just going to be really careful about that. Is that like having moves like Jagger? Oh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly. Okay, can you play the small forward? That's a question that I hear all the time. Do you think you can play the small yeah, forward? I can, definitely. Uh, in high school, I played every position except for the one. So uh, my high school coach did a really good job with me. You know, when I came from Haiti, usually when you're, you know, 6'8", 14 years old, they, stuck, they stick it on the post, and he didn't do that with me. He always thought that, that I could play on the wing a little bit. So, And Coach Yeager, it's the same thing with Coach Yeager. So, uh, you know, I'm working on it. I think I can. So I can defend the position too. So, Your story coming from Haiti is pretty amazing. Uh, are you looking to move past that, or is that something that you keep drawing from as sort of inspiration for you? You know, I look back on it, but at the same time, I can't, you know, always live in the past. You know, I'm still... You know, there's still I still have goals in mind, and but still, I, I I'm never gonna forget where I came from. You know, it's still my country. I love Haiti. Uh, I'm planning on going back this summer, doing some things down there, doing a camp down there. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be my first time in seven years. So, uh, going back down there and just helping other people, other other young people, uh, you know, get to where I am today. So, uh, I'm really uh, looking forward to that. Okay, you say you have some goals. Give us some of your goals, because I think everyone kind of wants to know what what you can be, what you think you can be. I, I think I can be a Hall of Famer. That's my goal. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I don't ever settle for. You know, I, I always. That's my thing. I tell people to dream big all the time. So that's my thing. That's what I'm working for every single day. But uh, I, I understand that the higher I go as a basketball player, the more impact I can make in the community around me. So that's my goal. Uh, one of my goals were. I, w I was wondering, okay, so outside of that goal, I mean, do you plan on, I mean, do you have like a two-year plan, a three-year plan, or oh, is definitely. it? Definitely, but, uh, you know, I just keep it to myself right now. <laughs> I'm not going to put it out there. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I definitely have things that I, you know, talk about that I write down every single day, uh, goals that I want to keep, you know, things that I want to keep building on every single year, 
and I, I have a goal for every year. And, you know, I, that, it just helps me to envision things and work on what I, whatever I have to work on to accomplish those goals. Do we have so. any questions yet? Wow, no. How could we not have any questions? My one of my questions was: Is there any way we could get like the four rookies, or I I like to call you guys like Willie and the four first rounders? <laughs> is there any way we could get you guys all to like have one house and you guys just like do like a real world style? Oh, uh, I don't know. That would be tough. <laughs> I don't know how that would work. You don't think but, you could yeah, those guys? Uh, it would be tough. I, I just think everybody need their own room a little bit you know, outside of basketball. <laughs> but we love each other, but I don't think, I don't know how that will work. You all have varying degrees of, you know, skill level but and sort of, I, I don't know, acclaim coming in. But to have all these guys working together and trying to grow as one big unit. Oh, I think it's, it's exciting. Uh, you know, some of the best teams in the NBA, that's how they started. Uh, if you look at the Warriors, you look at uh, uh, Oklahoma, you know, teams like that. Um, I think we have a, a great future together. If everybody keeps working, I think we can do some really special things. And not to mention the great vets that we have around us with Garrett Temple, uh, Anthony Tolliver, Darren, you know, Todd. They do a really good job. Costa, really good job. at. Uh, they are really good locker room guys and really good leaders on this team. So really showing us the way and how to go about doing things. Um, a 32-point game. How big was that for you? How much fun was it to have that sort of blow up and just you know keep building? It and they kept feeding you. It was good, uh, good confidence booster. But uh, I wasn't surprised by it. I've been working, and the good thing was, you know, my teammates were behind me, uh, coaches were behind me, so they were really happy for me. So it's always refreshing to see. All right. Well, we're not going to keep you all day. Uh, this is one. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, one big Haitian. <laughs> one, one big Haitian. He is one big Haitian. I, I'll tell you that. Uh, the other thing is he, he always has a smile on his face. And uh, one of the, uh, the bright lights that are, are growing up here in Sacramento. Uh, last question. Kentucky in in the uh, the final in, in the uh, the NBA tournament. Are you engaged? Are you watching? Are you looking forward? Watch a lot of it, but uh, I hope the guys do well. Uh, you know, I have my one of my really good friends on the team, Malik Monk. Uh, I hope you know he goes off and does whatever he needs to do to take his team to the top. So you want to see Malik Monk here next year with you? Oh, that would be that would be special. But uh, whoever we get, you know, I'm for it. You know, I, we, it's all about us getting better as a team and as an organization. So whoever we get. I'm for it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, man. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast, brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Ham. Joining me, as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? What is up, Mr. Ham? It's a beautiful day in Sacramento. I'm I'm very much enjoying the cool uh temperature because it's gonna get hot here soon yeah you kind of feel that don't you i i have uh canadian geese that keep landing in the pond in my backyard the the giant pond attached to the giant lake that i live on um so i keep hearing geese like nonstop. so i don't know when they're supposed to come back but what i found aaron is that they really like where i live so they never leave there is no like flying south for the winter or whatever they just kind of like hang out here and then they get huge, huge, giant Canadian geese. Yeah, we're not up there where you're at, where, where you get all the nature. But here in East Sac, where there's um, McKinley Park, we have like a stray turkey that will just randomly show up in our, in our yard. And uh, 
then of course we have the urban raccoons and those things are like small bears they're needed you gotta watch out for those guys yeah my wife said she was walking uh she works over off a garden highway and uh there were wild turkeys and she's like i'm just like walking through the middle of like a giant group of wild wild turkeys they don't they just ignore me and i'm like wow they ignore you because i figure there's quite a few homeless in that area uh and (laughs) if i'm a wild turkey i i don't think i'm comfortable with people because you know homeless people may look at wild turkey as literally free lunch um maybe maybe yeah. that's that's yeah crazy. that could be a problem there yeah yeah so no, i i would watch out if i was a wild turkey roaming the woods of sacramento any kind of wild turkey i guess we could say if you're in that area um all right so we've got king's basketball to talk about and uh we're we're kind of in the dog days of uh the, the wind down what 11 games left in the season i think after after the king's lost to the milwaukee bucks on wednesday night um, yeah, eleven games is, I believe, correct. Yeah, and I think the Kings are three and eleven since the All Star break. Uh, the wheels have come off the bus, which we all kind of knew was going to happen. Um, but now we're kind of watching it play out in slow motion, uh, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, I think one thing is that the Knicks keep beat, uh, getting beat by the Nets, which is horrible and doesn't help the Sacramento Kings in their and their dream of landing uh, the highest pick possible. But as of right now, the Kings sit uh, either in the sixth or the seventh spot. In the <clears> They're in the seventh slot. Yeah, in, in the draft lottery. And then the uh, the the Pelicans seem to want to win games now, which is not a good thing for Sacramento because uh, I, I don't think they have a shot to catch the Denver Nuggets. But they can get up to 10 or 11 and, and sort of – you know, hurt the Kings' uh, value in that pick. I, I think the Kings would hope that somehow they would end up around eight, maybe nine at the worst, but really seven, eight would be really nice. And I don't know that that's going to happen. I think they might get up to 10 or 11. Um, so, Aaron, what are your thoughts on sort of where the Kings are today? And what you're seeing is game in and game out. The loss is piling up, but we're seeing some good things. Yeah, well, in, in fact, the beginning of the game last night against the Bucks was actually really entertaining just for the like kind of young star value that was out there. Um, it, the Kings are exactly where you want them to be, be I think. Um, you know, we'll talk about Papa Giannis in a little bit, I'm sure. Um, they're just out there really kind of just learning how to get through stuff. And, and that's what you wanted. Um, you know, and some argued that you wanted it a couple weeks ago for some of the players. Not all of the players, but um, development is the word of the day. And and really, I mean, we're going to get wonky about it. If we want to talk about development, you know, how exactly are these players developing? And is there good development, bad development, something in between? And uh, I, I would argue that much of it, if not most of it, has been good or great development. And so that's a good sign. And then just kind of watching how the ping pong balls fall, I, I kind of have a thought of, of some type of an article or study or something of that nature of looking at, is it best to have a higher draft pick? You know, I've just been seeing so much out there, you know, of, of low draft picks, you know, really just blowing up and, and thinking back to, to some of my background as a fantasy sports analyst and thinking about, you know, how you have these consensus one, two, three, four, whatever picks and how they constantly burn you. And, um, you know, wondering like, 
is this not the, you know, is it not, is it a bad thing if the Kings get the seven pick versus the five pick and vice versa? And yes, I, I think you probably always want to draft higher, but I'm still focused more on development for this team and, and hoping that that's what you see. And if they can win some games along the way, I think it's going to be huge for their development. Yeah, I, I personally look at this draft and say I want as high a pick as possible with my number one pick. And my second pick... For some of the elite guys, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there are some elite players in this draft. You know what, and we can start there. We can... The guy that, I mean, I I was able to go to the NCAA tournament in Sacramento on both Friday and Sunday, and I went with one purpose in mind. I mean, there were some other guys that might be, you know, late first rounders or second round picks. Uh, You know, Leaf from... um, from UCLA is probably in the 20s if he comes out uh I was impressed but not really I think he's a player that needs needs a great point guard and able in order for him to do the things that he was able to do and I I think he's a nice player uh didn't love his personality didn't love how he disappeared in games but at the same time I saw him grab a couple of rebounds while tiptoeing on the baseline and holding his balance and contorting and uh, just his presence I thought was good and his agility for a guy his size was really good so he's intriguing but I think everyone went went to Sacramento or everyone who showed up if they weren't a fan of a specific team um, they were there to see Lonzo Ball and I couldn't have been more impressed with Lonzo Ball. Uh, I walk away from that making claims that I really shouldn't make. Uh, I've watched enough draft uh, prospects over the last, not just seven years covering the Kings, but over the last you know two decades studying the draft. And I used to do like giant draft Bibles every year. Um, I think Lonzo Ball is a 10-time All-Star. I think he's a franchise changer and in year two, I think any team that has him has a very good shot of being a playoff team. And I know that's crazy, but his presence on the court is Jason Kidd. Uh, he's He is a legit 6'5", 6'6". Um, he needs to add weight and strength, but he plays with a, uh, just, he's a wizard. He's uh, a magician on the court, and I enjoyed watching him so incredibly much over the weekend. Did you get a chance to watch any of him? No, and I haven't done any film work on any draft prospects, so I'm I'm kind of, you know, relying on people I guess I would say I trust, you know, for some of what I hear about some of these guys and, and being honest, I haven't heard about a lot of them, so I'm just gonna kind of defer on a lot of this. But I will say this, you know, when this many good basketball people say these types of things about a player I don't care what his dad says. And I also, um, you know, I kind of liken back to remember when Kyrie Irving had played, was it like 12 games or some, some low amount of games for Duke and the same type of, they're different players. Don't get me wrong, but the same type of like wizardry, if you will, he's a wizard with a basketball. He's the outright number one pick and there's no close second, you know, that kind of, and I realize it is a little bit bunched at the top of this draft. And, you know, there is some argument over who should go one, two, three, et cetera. But, um, you know, with and that probably says more about this draft than anything else. It does. Um, yeah. With with the, when you have a player who clearly gets the game of basketball 
and he's not dead in the water by any means with his jumper or anything like that. You just don't worry about the details. You don't overcomplicate this stuff. If if the Kings are, you know, and, and if I go through all this stuff and Lonzo Ball's the number one and somehow the Kings hit the number one draft pick, I don't think they should hesitate at all whatsoever based on what his father is out there doing because yeah. that, that to me is just silly. Like, he can do whatever he wants. I, I Everything you hear about Lonzo himself is, is mostly positive. So... Yeah, being um, yeah, around I would, him, I would be ecstatic for for Kings fans if they got that. Yeah, being around him this weekend, I thought first of all he's quiet, but behind the scenes, I saw him joking and messing with his his teammates. His teammates follow him. He he is their leader, even though a lot of his teammates have been around. Uh, what the the coach's kid there at, at UCLA's um, he's been to the final the Sweet Sixteen three straight years. Um, and, and, you know, he's an impressive player too, but he's probably not a, a true professional prospect. Um, but when I'm looking at the things that he does, I I mean, again, it's always going to be centered around his dad, right? His dad is the hype machine and he's like a town crier. It's like, I I don't even know what to make of him. It's annoying. It, It really is. And for me, he's doing his kid just a massive disservice. But I think for any team that gets Lonzo Ball uh, right now, they're kind of lucking out because Dad has a couple more kids in in the hopper, you know, at the high school level that he's going to be shamelessly self promoting here over the next couple of months and the next couple of years, and the his focus will will be on those guys more than it will be on his pro kid because once you get in the pros, I think the professional teams like basically say look if you want to be in the building you need to shut your trap and and if you you want to keep pushing these buttons we'll just take away your your access and you won't be here in the building at all we won't allow you in during off hours we won't allow you in to come in and work with your kid uh you can hang out with him at his apartment but you know you're not going to be part of our what we're doing here and i think that that's something that that at the professional level you can do. I don't think Steve Alford has that ability at UCLA. And so you just have this guy running amok saying all these things. His kid is nothing like him at all. And that's something that I think people should remember. Um, and look, Ball has plenty of, of room to grow. His uh, his jumper, is his three-point shot is absolutely bizarre looking. It very much reminds me of Kevin Martin. Uh, he he brings the ball all the way to the left side of his face and shoots from the left side. Uh, I don't even think you can you you have to just play with it. You can't scrap it and try to start over. There's just too much there that's that's been imprinted into him, and so you're just gonna have to hopefully work with it. And he hits it a lot of a lot of the time. But Aaron, I watched him play off the ball for one possession, and he's he ran down. And he has no problems playing off the ball. Uh, he he ran down and he stood at the right elbow. He caught the ball, didn't put it on the deck, dropped it into a guy in the post, moved to the corner. The guy kicked it back to him. Uh, never again put it on the floor. Uh, and then he made like one more pass, cut to the hoop, caught the ball, layup. And the entire possession, the ball never hit the floor once. He's a... 
a wizard that literally does not need to dribble to make the whole game work. And so uh, there were uh, two other instances, one where the big man Welsh for um, for UCLA took a big spill. Lonzo Ball was almost at, at midcourt. He sprinted all the way to the left corner and helped his teammate up. Uh, and I, I was super impressed by that. And it wasn't something that everyone was watching. It was like, wow, did, did you see that? And I was sitting next to USA Today reporter and yeah, I was like, huh, that was interesting. And, uh, I, you know, he did these small things that I was so impressed with. The other thing he did, he hit back-to-back three-pointers, came down on the next possession, had a wide-open look at the at the right elbow for a third straight three-pointer, which would have just blown the roof off the place. And instead, he flicked it right to the corner to his teammate who hit the three-pointer. And I thought to myself, unselfish. Uh, IQ is next level. Uh, his IQ, his basketball IQ is higher than most NBA players at this point right now. His body needs work. He he has a slink to him, uh, a little bit like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, uh, which is which is weird to say. Nice. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> Nothing says NBA prospect like Shaggy he, he keeps from his Scooby-Doo. Hand, yeah, he keeps his hands on his hips a lot, um, and, and he just has like a slink to him, but he's big. He's athletic, not super athletic, uh, but he can do just about everything on a basketball court. He's engaged defensively. He plays passing lanes. Um, He might get shoved off the ball a little bit because he needs to gain weight, but seriously, a top-notch prospect, which, again, the Kings can't get the first pick overall because of the pick swap with Philly, uh, but they can get the second pick, and I think Markel Fultz is still number one. Josh Jackson could slide to number two. Uh, the kid out of Duke, the small forward out of Duke, could slide into the top three. And I, but I think Ball, the worst case scenario is four. Um, he could go number one. He could go number two. Um, but I, he won't fall below four. So the Kings would have to jump up into the lottery and hope that Philadelphia also jumped up into the lottery and they didn't actually either they didn't pick swap or the pick swap made sense and, and they get a player that makes sense. Um, but. Anyway, to make a long story short. One thing I would like to throw in there that's interesting that Doug mentioned on one of the telecasts is like, really, you kind of got to figure out what you need if you're the Kings. Like, you know, figure out who your core is. And and I think we can safely assume that the core is Scal, Willie, um, Buddy, and and Garrett Temple, and and Malachi to a certain degree. Yep. those guys are, are your core. So, okay, so what do they bring to the table? You have a couple scores in, in Buddy and Malachi. You have, um, you know, kind of your your thin towers. You know, hat tip Jerry Reynolds for making that great. Um, the, oh, he went uh, with the thin towers the, the, on, on the broadcast? He did, and, and, and Grant admonished him. It was some really good TV. Like, um, and, then, and then Jerry stood up for it. So, uh, so hat tip to Jerry for making it great. Um, so you've got like a, you know, a thinner team, you know, in the front court, you've got a couple scores and you've got Garrett Temple as a lockdown, you know, lead shooting guard uh-huh. that um, you can build around. So you need help at point guard and you need some some kind of toughness underneath and at the five. So but offensively, what do you need? Like, you know, Garrett's going to move the ball, Buddy's going to look for his shot. Malachi is going to look for a shot. Scal's going to probably, 
you know, need to be more aggressive throughout his entire career. And then Willie's looking for a shot. Is there a player that that compliments them? And and I think Lonzo does compliment them. Would a score first point guard compliment this particular group? I would argue that that probably yes, but you might end up with a little bit too much um, sco- uh, scoring minded players on the floor. If that ends up being the case, it, it's it's hard to see um, or hard to say how that might work out. And then if you're in the middle of the draft, you know, I know that the, there's a lot of talk that you, you guys need a small forward. Um, I don't know how you're going to play all these players without loading up the two and three with Garrett Temple, with Buddy Heald, with Madonna. Malachi Richardson. I don't know who. Well, yeah. and that's the thing, you know, I got a guy out of Europe um, from one of the Turkish papers just trying to grill me because uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich is not a point guard, but my thoughts are, well, he plays on the ball, you know, where else are you going to play him if he doesn't play backup point guard, you know, for this team or, or however you want to characterize it. I but, think they believe he can play um, a little lead three. point guard. Yeah. But he's like a point three then, you know, his strength is playing on the ball. He's got a CJ McCollum like basketball game, you know, he, when he's on the floor, because he's going to be a defensive liability, whether he's at the, whether he's covering the one, two, or three, mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna if you play him at the three, you know, you're just kind of going small and downsizing and still playing him on the ball. So who who's your one in that case? A floor spacing one, you know, hopefully that plays a lot of defense. That so the styles of players that you guys are looking for and who you guys are going after in free agency is a huge deal. And, and where you guys land in the draft absolutely is going to dictate who's available to you. So that to me is the interesting part that Doug brought up is the Kings really do have, they could take out the, um, you know, the professor's glasses, if they, if you will, and really kind of evaluate what, what do they want this next iteration to be? And, um, you know, somebody like ball would obviously represent a pass first point guard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you could, you can go both ways. You could go a pass first or you can go a scoring point guard. I, in all honesty, I think the Kings have they have a choose your own adventure thing here because you don't really know what Willie or Scowl are are going to be one hundred percent. You have no idea what Malachi is going to be. I think we all think he can be a pure shooter and that he can play in the league, but again, he's averaging what like three points a game uh, in his career, and he's only played cool. in a handful of games. And I know that it's it's a small sample size and. Even if he gets to play and he plays these last 11 games and he's averaging 12 points a game or something, you still don't know what you have. I mean, that's it is what it is. This team is is put the brakes on any any thoughts of, of being, I mean, they're competitive, but of winning basketball games. I mean, uh, the fact that, that Yorgos Papianis is, is playing, you know, 20 plus minutes a night right yes. now, it tells you everything you need to know about what their design is. And that is to get these kids a taste. And get them um, a little bit, you know, of that that feeling of okay, this is what I need going forward. So I'm going to take this experience and I'm going to work hard in this off season on specific things that I need to work on. And when it comes to I, I, again, Aaron, we're watching things on this court that that make no sense. Like I'm watching Buddy Hield and and I feel bad, but Buddy Hield doesn't know how to play in the pick and roll at all at all he he it's so foreign to him <laughs> well you, here's you know why i Go mean the yeah. reason why and there was a it wasn't a pick and roll it was a rub curl he doesn't 
finish in traffic yet. So why would you go to the hoop if you can't finish in traffic? Well, he and never looks the at the role. Of the pick and roll. He never looks at the role, not even once. He doesn't feel comfortable turning back into the defense. Oh no! Well, and and making a pass. No, and he doesn't. Right, he does not pass well, and that's gonna, you know, that's the guy he's got to improve on that because if you're gonna be a high usage player, I mean, you've got to be better than that if you're if you're gonna have a harder time finding the open man and and yeah that's a big issue that's you know why i think it's pretty easy to put garrett temple as, a, as your starting shooting guard you know for not just next year but probably the year after that as well um and, and slot buddy into a backup six man type of a role yeah i would, um, I would be in all honesty but for yeah players who can't pass are six men and and for me like i, I think buddy's yeah. got potential to be a starting shooting guard but you know if you cannot hit at and any you can't feed the post and you can't flip a ball over the top or or drop one down which we have not seen him do at all every single time he gets in a pick and roll and they jump out on him which they're going to do every time because he's not hitting the the roll he's finding the guy on cross court he he's doing a skip pass to to the opposite elbow and that's that's just not going to work it's not going to work you know, five times nine. Well, and Scal had Tony Snell on him in the yeah. last game, and had him completely pinned and sealed. And Buddy couldn't get him the ball. So yeah, you're right. There's a lot to work on there. Um, you know, and then you look down at at Papianis, and he has a lot of work to do. And I almost <laughs> would go as far as to say, if he's not able to cut, it's not like he's out of shape. You know. But if he's not able to cut, you know, another 10 to 15 pounds and really kind of remake his his NBA profile, it's going to be hard for him to stay on the floor. I mean, Jonas Valanciunas in, in Toronto has a lot of offensive skill. He's just an incredible player from an offensive standpoint. He can't stay on the floor in today's NBA because teams play small and he gets torched relentlessly. And Papa Giannis is probably about a step slower than than Jonas is. Yeah. His um he and because he's slow, he's he's finding himself out of position for he's attempting blocks. He knows he's got to get geared up quickly because he can't get up, you know, to challenge these shots and he can't get into position. He needs to take Anthony Tolliver's um, you know, take charge philosophy and and get in there and, and work the position game. Because he's not going to be a shot blocker at the NBA level unless he remakes his body because his timing is so subject to, to his constraints. He's got to get geared up early and it's just pump fake central and he's going to be you know, out of position and getting into foul trouble and all that. Offensively, he's getting taken advantage of out there. So you know, when he gets the ball at the elbow extended, defenders are not just reaching in for the swipe, but they're playing every angle that's out there. They're not playing him at all. You know, they're so overly aggressive against him. And it's just, you know, if, if you look at these games, if he actually wasn't playing, I think the Kings would be competitive, but with him on the floor, it's really hard on the Kings. And that's the kind of developmental issue. I find it really interesting that like a week ago, Scal had to earn his minutes and now Papianis doesn't have to earn them. Um, you know, you want them to have good development, 
developmental environments. You want them, the players that is, to play in winning environments and, and get positive reinforcement and not constantly be on their heels because, you know, for whatever reason, like last night, Giannis is insanely good. And, you know, for, for Scal to get that assignment early on, he got a touch foul early on. He lost all of his aggressiveness. And it might have been a wasted game for Scal. Now you can say he learned he learned how to take one of the best players in the league and get beat up a little bit. And same with Papa. You know, he's learning how to get beat up a little bit. All that stuff is good. Um, but maybe have Willie cover, you know, Giannis. Willie actually, they I thought Giannis was yeah. a little bit intimidated by Yeah. Yeah, they did make that switch, but it was like a good development versus bad development situation. Like, you know, Scal, he he he's going to learn from this game, and that's why you play him, and that's why there's no reason not to play him, is he's going to learn, okay, this is what happens when I face a number one player in the league, you know, that type of a player. Um, but in terms of him getting in there and really being able to be Scal, he didn't get a chance to be Scal in that game. And so that to that degree was a little bit of a negative development for him. Well, and I'm going to I'm going to take that game and I'm going to throw it out the window. And there's one reason I'm going to do that. And the reason is Ty Lawson wasn't there, and I know that that he's just one player, but the fact is the Kings went with Tyreek Evans and and Garrett Temple for a little bit at the point, but really it was Tyreek. And Tyreek had no interest in doing anything but scoring for himself. Uh, and I, I thought that that was just like an embarrassment to watch, you know, not to bash Tyreek, but it's, yeah, this should be about development. And it was not about development. It was about how many points Tyreek could score in a short amount of time. And, and in the fourth quarter when the game was, I mean, he should, should have been setting up his teammates for, for more, just to get everyone involved. Now, look, to get back to Papianis, because uh, I've watched a lot of Papianis behind the scenes, and I'm just going to tell you this. First of all, he's 19, 19 years old. He looks older, and you want to think of him as older. He's 19 years old. He's already dropped, I think it's 23 pounds, and he's also gained a lot of muscle. And the plan is for him to drop another 10 to 15 to get uh, to get fully his body fully in shape. Um, but what I saw early in that game, he dropped two balls that, you know, they fed him in, in the post and he dropped two balls and it's because he's nervous. He's a baby. He doesn't look like it, but it's almost like when you have, uh, like when I coached little league years ago, um, we had this one kid who his dad was six, seven and his mom was six, three. And so I had a team that was six, seven and eight year olds. And like my second biggest kid was barely six, but his parents are huge. So when you look at him, you're like, oh, that kid's going to be great. But then he's got no skill with a baseball bat. And the reason why he's got no skill with a baseball bat is because he's, he's not nearly as old as you think he is. He's, he's underdeveloped. The difference between a six-year-old and an eight-year-old typically is like, leaps and bounds on on a baseball field just because their coordination changes and i know that seems a little strange to compare with Papianis, but fact is the guy's never played against competition like this and the only thing he's done is play in the d league and work his butt off and lose a bunch of weight and then when he gets on the court he again to me he looks like he's just uh, he's a deer caught in headlights and is he too slow 
in his motions, yes. Uh, but his touch is so soft. He's a very good rebounder for his size. I think his ability in the high post is going to develop really, really well. I think he does have an ability to take a couple of dribbles and to set teammates up in the high post and have them, you know, set screens. I think his screens were really nice. Uh, is But here's the thing. This, this is a caveat I'll say, Aaron. He is not going to play 23 minutes a game next season. He, it's back to Reno, no. and it's back to development next season. The reason why he's getting playing time right now is because they've they've said this is all about development. And that's a good thing in one sense because you're you're getting him, like we said, a taste. It's a bad thing in another sense because Scal and Papianis are on two totally different career tra- trajectories. And by having them on the floor together, you're actually stymieing a little bit of what Scal is trying to do. And you're taking away a little bit because... Yeah, you're playing four on five out there. Well, it maybe it's not four on five, but maybe it's four and a half on five, but... If you had Costa there drawing a little bit here, Costa there setting picks and, and doing things for his other teammates, it's just different. And so you're you're not getting to see Scal and his like again, you take Ty Lawson out of the lineup and Darren Collison doesn't play he didn't play that many minutes, but he had what seven assists. Um you Ty Lawson would have had six on top of that, and Tyreek Evans finishes with one or two. So those extra four or five possessions are something that Willie would have taken advantage of, something Scal would have taken advantage of. There were no easy baskets for Scal against the Milwaukee Bucks. And some nights it's going to be that way, but at the same time, you're you're sort of seeing a watered-down version of this team. You also saw what happens when leadership gets watered down, and, and that is something that Lawson will, you know, for everything that's going on off the court, you know, on the court, he's going to bring that. You had Jason Terry out there, Basically, woofing, you know, uh, you had Spencer Hawes out there woofing. I thought the first king that, you know, flagrantly fouled Spencer Hawes might never buy a beer or a meal in this city ever again uh, with the way that, that he was out there, you know, woofing. And with Tyreek and kind of the lack of the dearth of, of veterans that were out there, I thought that that team got away with stuff that they probably don't get away with against other teams. And that's also part of the learning process is, you know, that's your home court. You don't let, you know, players go out there and do that stuff, um, you know, without finding a way to affect the outcome in a, um, in a, in a better way. So it, development you need, like, first of all, if the player is there, if the player is the best player, like Scal is, he gets the minutes no matter what. Um, yeah. Second, you, you can't go full, you know, you can't just put a lot of rookies on the floor together you know, the way that they're doing it with, with Temple and Tolliver and Kufos, if he can get back on the floor, you know, if you can bring Papi Giannis maybe back down to 10 minutes, um, that might be a better balance and and keep, you know, you got to keep guys like Tyreek off the floor. But I will say this, in in, in Tyreek's defense and in the de- defense of the decision to play him, he actually was one of the better covers for Giannis, who yep. just went absolutely berserk. And <laughs> that's why Willie's got to be the guy on him because Willie actually is like his profile, his body type. That's actually, I think if, if Giannis is the number one player in the league one day, teams will be like begging for Willie Cauley Stein just so they have somebody that can cover Giannis. Cause we haven't seen anybody like him ever. Yeah, ever. I, I agree. I There's mean, not a single player that we've seen like him ever. 
he can legitimately play all five positions, both sides of the ball. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if I'm the Bucks and I'm and I'm going up against, you know, it, it doesn't matter who I'm going up against. But let's say I'm up against, uh, I don't know, the Clippers. And I'm like, okay, the Clippers don't have a small forward. Tonight, Giannis, you're playing small forward. And then the next game, I'm up against, I you know, name that team. You're up against, you know, the, the Denver Nuggets. And you're we'll like... Play them at the five if you want. Yeah, it's like, okay, I, I think I, I like the matchup with him against uh against mason plumley or i like him as a matchup how is jameer nelson gonna stop Giannis at the and i'm gonna put him at the point guard position I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this i think he's a better kevin durant he's the same profile but stronger faster better dribbler um you know makes better plays you know, doesn't have the shot, so that's, well, that's clearly what I mean, KD has in his favor. But that Giannis KD. has him in every other category. Yeah, that's what separates KD, though. I yeah, mean, that's true. To but shoot. I, yeah, but at the same time, you know, has it been winning basketball for KD? I don't know. He's, that's that's the big made question. It to the Western Conference like, I think, Finals twice. I, I don't put it. Uh, you, you, that's. I mean, you can argue that they underperformed in every single playoff run that they had. I will um, say this. I don't personally put a ceiling on, and I would take that to the bank too. Um, I, I I don't put a ceiling on what Giannis can do in, in terms of historic NBA, um, you know, lore, if you will, like the, you know, the great Michael Jordan, that's going to be a heavy lift for him to, 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 to beat. He would have to get in there and, and really have just an insane career. But I don't like if it happened, I wouldn't be like, Oh, that came out of nowhere. I mean, he's six foot 10 11. and can do literally yeah. everything. And if he gets a three pointer, which he will, what are we talking about here? Like, can you even cover him at all? So yeah, Giannis is, is, is just a phenomenal topic. And the Kings had zero answer for him last night yeah. whatsoever. I, I know Garrett Temple said after the game, if he gets a three-point shot, he's the best player in the league. He's like, he will be the best player in the league in two years. That's That that was Garrett's opinion. Um, and and mm-hmm. he's like, hey, look, this dude is so good. He's so good. And I, we're all just sitting here watching it. And he said, right now, I asked him if he's the best two-way player in the game. He said, well, I asked him if he's the most versatile player in the league. And he said, no, it's still LeBron. But He's like, it, it won't be for long. I mean, he's like, the things that that guy can do are just like, holy cow. And, you know, and the Kings passed on him in the draft. <laughs> uh, you can't make this. <laughs> so did like a lot that. of teams, though. Uh, but I will say this. It was dumb for a lot of teams to pass on him. Like, th- th- those are the ones where you can say, yeah, at least like half of those teams that passed on him. That was dumb because you looked at the film of him out of, out of Europe and you're like, oh, wow, that guy can play. And... Yeah, so, um, I think we still go back you know, to some of these like, guys that there drop. A, there was a dossier on him that that Jeff Petrie had a dossier on on Giannis. And, oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's the. I mean it's it's funny. Sacramento is so so well known for their their afterthought. Like, well, this is what really happened. You know, there's the Jimmer situation. Uh, there's the Jason Thompson wasn't going to resign. The Maloose wouldn't give the Kings enough money. Well, wouldn't give Petrie enough money for Jason Thompson. So they drafted Thomas Robinson instead of Damian Lillard. There's always like these dark CD stories like, oh, well, this is why that happened. So I'm not <laughs> sure that there's actually like a, a Giannis Atatacombo like dossier hiding in a file somewhere 
that uh, Jeff Petrie's like, you know, that was he, he was the next page. Uh, I had him. Um, but that's that's the word that there there was a guy. I mean, that he was his guy. And then when Pete D'Alessandro came in the last second before that draft, he just said, yeah, we're doing what we're going to do. And we're drafting Ben McLemore and see you later. Uh, but it's painful because you're now looking at Ben McLemore, who congratulations having a, a brand new baby girl. Uh, but you're looking at him and saying, I don't think he's on this roster next year and four years in. And uh, and Giannis is a, a superstar in the making. And so uh, once again, you missed on Kawhi, you missed on Lillard, you missed on Clay, uh, and you missed on Giannis. And that's that's always going to be tough. Well, and that's kind of back to my original point is there's going to be teams missing on players for until the end of time. And sometimes these lower draft picks just just dumb luck like there's no like science behind it it's you know and it happens in any sort of modeling if we want to call it the nba modeling we want to call it the fantasy modeling like consensus number one two three whatever they are a lot of times it's just every well it's not a lot of times it's like every year some of those consensus picks are not going to pan out so being low in the draft is not the end of the world i would say you know good scouting and and evaluation is obviously key but, um, you know, you sometimes can luck into some of these situations that other teams have lucked into. Okay. That, yeah, I, I would totally agree. And I, I think Milwaukee did luck into it. And they had uh, the situation there where he could grow into the player he's going to be. Uh, and they've allowed that. And, and for that matter, I think Jason Kidd has actually done a really good, solid job there of, of putting him on a path and, and supporting that. You were going to say well, something. think about this too, yeah. with relation to Scal, the the you know Sean Sweeney, you know got a chance to talk with him a couple of years back about how they were developing Giannis, and they just decided they were going to overload him, and that has obviously paid off. He's there's you know five positions he could play. He could be he's running point more or less, and that I think is what they need to do with Scal is. You know, overload him with guard-like drills, dribbling, passing, playmaking, and and really develop those aspects of his game because he has that profile where he could be potentially unstoppable. Uh, I don't think he has the Giannis build, but you know, it's a different version of, of that type of a player. Yeah, and uh, I would hope that they just start overloading him left and right. Well, he's certainly going to need to work on his body. And I, I mean, I spoke to Scal, uh, you know, again on Tuesday at practice. And then I spoke to him again um, after the game. And I, I mean, he's kind of awestruck a little bit with that. Uh, but the funny thing is, I think Scal is, is a year younger than Giannis. And it's just amazing to see Antetokounmpo be this good, this young. And you're like... I mean, I, I don't know where you go from here and, and how good he can be. I mean, there's always a possibility that he plateaus and you're like, all right, um, you know, he's he's one of the top 10 players in the league, but he's not number one. But there's also a potential for him to like jump up and, and just be, you know, in the conversation. And I, I think it's great. I mean, it's what the league needs. The league needs more stars. Uh, they need more good kids like this. Uh, and, and I certainly hope that the Kings somehow find one of these guys i think the one mistake that you can make is this is the nba is a copycat league we've talked about that for you know a million times and you know every time that uh, a guy like serge Ibaka goes off and 
in the playoffs and has a huge impact for you know the the Oklahoma City Thunder as a young player the next year someone's looking for the next Serge Ibaka and there is no player that is going to be the next Giannis and so don't look at Josh Jackson or I don't know why I forget his name but the kid out of Duke don't look at either one of those kids or the six foot eleven stream bean that that's uh, slated to go Isaac, who, who's slated to go somewhere around eight, nine, ten. These guys aren't the Knicks, Giannis. They're a different style of player, and you just have to you have to look into these guys. Sometimes you're right; it does take great scouting and and finding these guys, mining talent. Um, but they're also so so incredibly rare. If they weren't, I mean. this kid should have gone number one and he should go number one in, you know, multiple drafts. Uh, I mean, he's that good. He he's, but for every time that you see like the 2003 draft, you know, the top five is, is LeBron, it's Wade, it's Bosch, it's Carmelo and it's Darko at the number two pick. And, (laughs) and, you know, you look at the Tyreek Evans draft and it's, it's Blake Griffin, it's James Harden, it's Tyreek Evans, it's Steph Curry, it's, uh, but also it's Hashim Thabit, number two. It's uh, it's Johnny Flynn in the top six. It's Ricky Rubio. I mean, there are catastrophic misses in the top the top end of the draft. Every draft, even the great drafts, have the head scratchers. I mean, Hakeem Olajuwon, Sam Bowie, Michael Jordan. I mean, that that's how that draft went. See, I think it... It's a lot of politics, though. This is where I feel like the the nerds watch a ton of film that go do the travel, that live, eat, and breathe this stuff. This they should not miss that often. You know, at the end of the day, you, you kind of are are really just looking at how does this per player play the game, and and that's the the great measurement of the draft is, you know, can you push aside politics, you know, agent stuff internal power struggles and all that crap and and get the nerds in the room that that actually you know the basketball nerds that that live and eat and breathe this stuff and let them make the decisions i i would bet there's a high percentage of those folks that that do stuff in san antonio miami and the other good franchises that are out there yeah that's true all right so aaron i i think uh that's gonna do it for this edition of the csn kings insider podcast do you have any final thoughts Mm, no, I think, um, you know, just watching the Kings develop over the next, uh, you know, couple weeks here, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that happens. And then I think looking ahead at free agency to me is almost as interesting as the draft, because as usual, there, there are going to be about 10 free agents that the Kings should go after that are undervalued for whatever reason. And the question will be, can they hit that list or do they kind of fall into their old trappings of going towards players that are overvalued and um you know not necessarily a good fit that's kind of what i'll be watching for there all right um let's see final thoughts uh malachi richardson is on the way back um i'm not sure i I talked to jaeger about it uh on tuesday he said that we're waiting for him to not feel sore after practice in that hamstring and that hadn't happened yet and so he's getting closer um, but what the Kings don't want to do is look at the final 11 games of the season as some end-all, be-all for for a young player and then have him re-injure himself and miss half the summer of development because he's rehabbing 
you know, a re-injury. And so they're going to be cautious, and rightfully so. Uh, they don't really care if fans want to see, um, you know, again, a player, Malachi Richardson, play in meaningless games down the stretch. Uh, the Ty Lawson situation is uh, is going to play out on what is today. Today is Thursday. It will play out today. Uh, he was in, he is in Denver for whatever hearing or whatever they're doing there, and I think we'll know more later in the day. Uh, so there is that situation that needs to play out. Uh, and lastly, you know, I, we keep saying this, but be patient and don't put too much stock in a thirty-two point. 13 rebound game don't put too much stock in an 8.7 rebound game uh, there are reasons why these things happen there are reasons why someone's able to get loose and while why someone can't get loose in another game again bringing up the fact that ty lawson wasn't there bringing up the fact that costa kufas wasn't there uh wasn't playing in that game there's always going to be a reason why a lot of these things happen but uh the kings are developing and you just need to be patient and and you know, cheer on the young guys because all of them are very good kids who are working very hard to try to earn their way in the league. And, uh, and I don't think that we're going to know what any of them are here after 11 more games. And it's going to take another year or two to find out who some of these guys are. Uh, and some of them might not be NBA players. Some of them might be stars. We just don't know yet. Uh, so for Aaron Bruski. I am James Ham. Thank you for listening to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. We will see you very soon. <laughs>